You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now we know the Prophet gave the spoils of war to men. Men who were there fighting, they got a good share of the spoils of war, the war booties. Did women receive anything at Khaybar? It has been reported that the women who came to Khaybar, they asked for some war spoils too. Hey, we want a share of it too. They said, we sacrificed too, even though we did not fight, but we were there and we sacrificed. One report by Halabi states that 20 women joined the Prophet to Khaybar, such as his aunt Safiya, Umm Sulaim, Umm Atiyah al Ansariyah, and a number of other women. Another report by Ibn Ishaq narrates, uh, states that a woman from the tribe of Ghifar, you know, she knew how to negotiate well. She joined the Prophet at Khaybar to treat the wounded and to help the Muslims in any way. So when Khaybar was conquered, she asked for, you know, some financial compensation. True, we didn't fight, but give us something, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet gave them from some of the valuables of Khaybar, such as a necklace. For instance, this lady, according to the reports of Ibn Ishaq, she got a necklace. Now there's one troubling point about the reports of Ibn Ishaq. The report of Ibn Ishaq says the Prophet put the necklace on her neck. Now some of our scholars have trouble with that. They're like, is she mahram to him or no? If she wasn't mahram to him, you know, it's unlikely that the Prophet would do that. Putting, you know, a necklace, you know, on the neck of a non-mahram lady, we don't find that the Prophet would do something like that. Now someone could say maybe somehow she was one of his maharam. You know, she, she was related to him by blood. That is possible, even though there's no evidence for that, but that is possible. In any case, this is out there. Ibn Ishaq does narrate this report. Now the Prophet didn't give them as much as he gave the fighters. The fighters were there in the battlefield. The Prophet gave them more, but he did compensate them. So... Women did play a role at Khaybar, and that shows you that the Prophet always gave them an opportunity to serve. Yes, fighting in the battlefield is not appropriate, but you can treat the wounded, you can help with logistics, and he welcomed them to do that. There's an interesting story of a woman who was pregnant when she headed to Khaybar with her husband, Abdullah ibn Anis. On the way to Khaybar, she gives birth. Her husband comes to the Prophet He tells him, Ya Rasulullah, my wife just gave birth. Now you're traveling, right? You don't have enough resources. So what do you do? What should we give her so she can gain some strength after going through labor? The Prophet tells him, take these dates, soak them in the water so they become, they become soft. And then press them to make a drink for her a type of date drink for her. He says, I did, and as soon as she drank that date juice, she did not have any difficulty after that whatsoever. This was the barakah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. 
Everything went smoothly. Later, after the conquest of Khaybar, the Prophet gave her and her newborn some goodies from the war spoils. So the Prophet, you know, after any war, he would basically divide the spoils of war. Now stealing from the spoils of war without the authorization from the Prophet is a major sin. It's called ghil in, 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 the, in Islamic law and in the Quran. You can't go and take the spoils of war without being authorized by the Prophet. You would bring everything, you'd put it in one place, the Prophet would divide it. Stealing it is considered an act of theft from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this belongs to Allah, then the Prophet has to divide it. So it has been reported that a companion died at Khaybar after the conquest. So after Muslims achieved victory and the spoils of war were divided, this companion died, this fighter died. The Prophet said, pray on your companion, sahibukum. It's as if saying he's not a part of me, pray on him. But he refused to pray on him. The Prophet himself refused to pray on the body of this companion. Yes. Now, he refused. The name has it mentioned. It says one of the Sahaba, one of the fighters over there. Now the people were puzzled. They told him, Ya Rasulullah, why? He came to us, with us to Khaybar. What's the matter? He said, Sahibukum, your companion has stolen from the right of Allah. He has stolen from Sabilillah. So he refused. They wondered, what did he steal? Like all that gold maybe from these Jews, what did he steal? They said, the companions said, we searched his belongings and realized he had stolen some beads from the Jews not worth more than two dirhams. Two dirhams is just two silver coins. Not a lot of money. Not a lot of money, like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, you know, something simple like that. But this was a grave sin because you're stealing from Allah and the Prophet. Because the Quran is very clear. Whenever you gain something, specifically in the context of war, one fifth of it is for Allah, and then the Prophet, and then the Qurban, the Yatama, the Masakin, the Ibn Sabil. The point is that belongs to Allah. You stealing it without being authorized by the Prophet is like stealing from Allah. Now, if you steal a cent from God, isn't that a major sin? Because you're stealing from God, from the share of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It indicates that he had no piety. He was not mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this has been mentioned at the event of Khaybar. Now some very important observations here. How come being a companion did not prevent this miserable person from stealing? Does this not mean that there's no such thing as companions being just? Right? Today, if you look at other Muslims, they have this idea that simply if you're a companion, automatically you have this halo around you. Halo of being just and good and we have to follow you. This is not just any normal person. He came all the way to Khaybar. I mean, he went through hardship getting there and being with Muslims till the end. How come his suhbah, his companionship to the Prophet ﷺ did not prevent him from such a major sin.
This shows you that being a companion does not guarantee that you'll be good. There are good companions, there are bad companions. Secondly, how come his companionship to the Prophet did not earn him any status with the Prophet, any shafa'a, any intercession? Why didn't the Prophet say, okay guys, you know, this guy made a mistake, fine, he's my sahaba, let me do shafa'a for him. No, the Prophet refused to even pray on him. So why do so many Muslims think all those sahaba and companions will get a free pass just for being a companion? How come this guy didn't get a free pass? Wouldn't you think, based on the Sunni understanding of sahaba, the Prophet should have done shafa'a for him, should have forgiven him? The Prophet could have said, okay, he stole two dirhams. Yalla, that's not a lot of money. He's my sahaba, he's a sahabi. So it's okay, let's pray on him. The Prophet refused to pray on him. And this shows you there is no such thing in our deen that the Sahaba are holy figures, untouchable. No, there's no such thing. In fact, being a Sahaba puts added responsibility on them because you see Rasulullah, you see the miracle, you have no excuse. Today, if a Muslim makes a mistake, okay, Allah will hold him to a lower standard. Allah will tell him, you came a thousand four hundred years after the Prophet. You didn't see the miracles that the companions saw with their own eyes. Maybe Allah will be more, more gentle in, in the hisab with them, in judging them. But you companions who saw the miracle of Allah, you saw the miracle of Ali killing Marhab, lifting the gate of Khaybar. After all that, you go and steal? You have to be very evil to do that. So this means the Sahaba, even though it was an honor to be with the Prophet, but it came with an extra layer of responsibility. It doesn't mean they got a free pass. Yes, and the Qur'an tells them, if you commit a sin, the punishment is doubled because of that greater responsibility. I can share with you the source in the group, inshallah, with the page numbers, because we have multiple sources for it. By the way, you know some companions would accuse the Prophet of stealing and embezzling the spoils of war? How about that? Not only would some of them steal, They'd accuse the Prophet of stealing. Allah reveals a verse in the Holy Quran to condemn them for that and to refute that. Surah Ali Imran, verse 106. It's not possible for a Prophet to steal from the spoils of war, to commit this ghul. If you steal something like that on the Day of Judgment, you'll come with it. Don't think you can get away with it. So unfortunately, sometimes the Prophet, if he would divide the spoils of war in a certain way, and some companions didn't like it, they'd accuse him, oh, you stole our share. Also, according to Islamic law, the Prophet gets the best share of the spoils of war. So let's say if there are special items like the crown of a king, right? That's a special item. That's not divided amongst the Muslims. Who gets that? The Prophet Or if there is a woman who's taken as a prisoner of war and she is not a normal uh, figure. She's like the daughter of the king or the daughter of the leader of the tribe. Who gets her? The Prophet Like Safiya, right? 
Safiya wasn't any ordinary captive. She was the daughter of the leader of the Jews. And her husband was also a very important person. So some companions initially tried to claim her. Some reports say, Dahya, you tried to claim her. But the Prophet said, no. This is not an ordinary woman. By the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I decide what happens to her. And the Prophet basically, you know, took her, he freed her, and then she decided to marry him. So some companions did not like that. So they accused him of stealing. Allah condemns them in the Holy Quran. How is it possible that a prophet would cheat like that? Well, this is the Quran. Yeah, this is Quran. But Sunni tafsir also is an agreement that the prophet was accused of that. And the mushriks didn't accuse him. Because his own companions accused him. So the Quran is basically saying, you know, how is this possible that you accuse him? How can you even trust that he's a prophet if you can't trust him in financial issues? How do you even consider him a prophet? You accepted his message. Now you come and you doubt his qismah, the way he's dividing things. So the prophet guarantees your share of the war spoils. Don't worry about it. He won't be unfair to you. Now, having said that, there were amazing companions too. See, those who accuse us of having a problem with the companions, we have a problem with the bad ones, not the good ones. Contrast what you heard about this companion who stole and the Prophet refused to pray on him to this amazing position of this companion at Khaybar. It has been reported that one of the A'rab came to the Prophet. We don't know exactly who he was or what his name was, but the report says one of the A'rab. He comes to the Prophet and he believes in him. He follows him well, his Islam is good, he migrates to Medina to be part of the Medina community and the Prophet asks his companions to take care of this guy. At Khaybar, he was there, Muslims brought his share of the war booty and gave it to him. They brought his share from the spoils of war, they told him Rasulullah is the one who assigned this for you, take your share. He told them, what is this that you're giving me? They told him, the Prophet fixed this share for you. It's from the Prophet. He takes his share and he comes to the Prophet. He tells him, Ya Rasulullah, ma hadha? What is this that you're giving me? He wanted to confirm what it is. He said, this is what I fixed for you. Now initially you might think he's here to object. But then look at his response. He said, but this is not why I followed you. I followed you so I can be a shaheed. So I would be martyred and I would enter paradise. I followed you to read shahada and he pointed at his throat. And he said, so I will be slain from here, fi sabilillah. Ya Rasulullah, I didn't come for the spoil of war. Look, look at the difference, subhanAllah. That guy who stole and this one, he's given his share, he doesn't want it. The Prophet said to him, in tasduk, if you're truthful with this intention, like you're just not showing off, if you're truthful, in tasduk, Allahu yusaddiquk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your dream true. Allah will give you shahada. Later, while fighting the enemies, he was brought to the Prophet when he was fatally wounded. 
and he was wounded in his throat. An arrow struck his throat, and he passed away as a shaheed. The Prophet put the kafan for him. He enshrouded him with his own jubba. The Prophet was wearing a garment. The Prophet took out that garment. He said, I'll make that your kafan. See how the Prophet treated him for his good intention of being a shaheed? And then the Prophet prays on him. And the Prophet makes this dua. Allahumma hadha abduka wabnu abdik. Oh Allah, this is your slave and the son of your slave. خَرَجَ مُهَاجِرًا فِي سَبِيلِكِ He left his city, his hometown, migrating for you. His intention was sincere. قُتِلَ شَهِيدًا He died as a shaheed. أَنَا عَلَيْهِ شَهِيدٌ I am a witness. What an honor for Rasulullah to enshroud you with his cloak, to pray on you and to see and to say these amazing words. So truly there were these amazing companions who really, really sacrificed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, subhanAllah, there's one interesting dimension of the companions. Usually, not everyone, usually those who died while the Prophet was alive, they were the best of the companions. They passed their test. Those who stayed after the Prophet, many of them failed their test. SubhanAllah. So it seems those pure ones, Allah selected them before the Prophet to make sure they die while the Prophet's alive and they were obeying him and they wouldn't get caught up in the Saqifah fitna and these other fitnas. So truly they were lucky. The, the martyrs of Bad, the martyrs of Uhud, the martyrs of these battles, many of them were really good companions. Hundreds of them died defending Rasulullah. But those who stayed, many of them, they got caught up with the fitnas, unfortunately. The political fitna, the religious fitna, you know, abandoning the Ahlul Bayt So just see that amazing contrast. One battle, companions, one of them steals. He takes more than his share. Something that's petty, right? But because of that pettiness, no taqwa, the Prophet refuses to pray on him. And then you have a shaheed like that. You give him the gold and the silver, he says, I don't want it. I didn't come here for that. I want shahada, and indeed, he achieves shahada, and he has this peaceful, beautiful ending with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Any questions about, about the events of Khaybar? Inshallah, in our subsequent classes, we'll examine Fadak. What, what is Fadak? What exactly happened at Fadak? Why did the Jews of Fadak make this, make this peace agreement with the Prophet? And what did they give him? and the verse that was revealed. And then we'll also speak about the assassination attempts by the Jews. Even though the Prophet just made a peace treaty, they tried to kill him. And there's the famous incident of a lady, of a Khaybari lady, who basically sent lamb to the Prophet and she put poison in it. And the Prophet was poisoned. We'll, we'll analyze that, of course. And we'll see that the Prophet, four years later, die from this poison or no? Because that's what most Sunnis say. Sunnis accept that he was poisoned and many of them accept that he died because of poisoning. But when you ask them who poisoned him, they say, yeah, that Jewish lady, which is four years after the Prophet ﷺ, you know, became a shaheed before he passed away. Is that even possible? Is there such poison that kills you four years 
later and you're completely okay during those four years. So inshallah next we'll, we'll analyze these points. Yes, sister. That's a good question. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he would get a good share of the spoils of war, the Prophet would never really spend it on himself. The Prophet was very humble in his spending. However, the Prophet would spend it on the poor, on the community. He would use that fi sabirillah. And that's why Allah gives him a greater share. Because he's a leader. People have expectations from him. When you're a leader in a community, you'd be surprised how many people come to you asking for help. I want to get married, sponsor my marriage. I'm hungry, feed me. I'm this, I'm that. There's a lot of pressure on a leader. So Allah gave more share of the Prophet, not because he'd spend it in his house, because he would help out other people. So yeah, the Prophet would never spend it on himself. He would start with his relatives, if he had any relatives who were poor, and then just the Medina community in general. But unfortunately, some companions did not even have the vision for that. It bothered them. Why is he getting the good stuff? Why is he getting the most important slave, right? They would object to the Prophet how did you then follow him as your Rasul? This shows you not all companions were sincere. They were there for dunya. They realized this man is powerful. Let's join him. They realized he has a future. You could tell. See, if you were smart in Arabia, you can tell. Even if you put the unseen spiritual aspect to the side, right? If you look at it from a worldly perspective, you could tell this man is going to have a great future because his message is universal, it's attractive, it's powerful. And that's why even some companions from the Muhajireen early on, they saw that. They were hypocrites according to our beliefs. But they saw that this man has a future. So let's go with him. So we can get a chunk of this dunya. They knew the aristocrats of Mecca had no future. They knew that. They were busy with the small village of Mecca. They saw this man, the Prophet, has the power to establish a civilization. They saw that from a worldly aspect. They're like, let's go. We'll get a share of it, and they did. And that's exactly what happened.